right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. He's Nick Springer. Who? We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And we're going to be talking KU football off the top here with some off-season news for KU. We uh, are going to get to some fun with numbers. Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World joins us at 340. We've got our NFL Week 17 recap, some KU women's basketball talk, uh, some KU audio, and some more KU basketball talk from the Wichita State game. We're going to start, though, with the latest news from the receiver group. We talked a little yesterday on the show that LJ Arnold took to social media and said that he'll be back for another year at KU. Nice. Uh, we, we had, I don't know, I'm getting lost in the sauce a little bit on all the uh, captions. We've had, what, back for revenge. We've unfinished had unfinished business. Unfinished business. Uh, we ranked the LJ Arnold There's another one. one. There's one more missing. Yeah. We, we, we had three. Uh, was, what was the Kobe Bryant one over the weekend? Oh. Uh, was, Kobe Bryant one was just I'm back, right? Was it just I'm back? I'm Very back. Simple to the point. Unfinished business. Back for revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, rock chalk. Uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, Luke Grimm, here's the caption he decided to use. Run oh. it back. Oh! Exclamation point, Sheesh. exclamation point. That's new. So where does that rank? Mm, I'm going to rank that one lower because mm. run. you don't want to... I mean, I'm assuming he doesn't want to run back winning the guaranteed rate bowl. He probably wants to has higher expectations. Oh, Lawrence Arnold did unfinished business too. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, I think I'm ranking run it back lower because I'm assuming he wants he has higher ambitions than running it. Yeah, back if, to they, the if they bowl. if they go nine and four and win the guaranteed rate bowl again, it would still be a fun season, and especially like, from where KU's been. But it would womp, be a womp. little bit of like, a, yeah, I'd be like, ah, oh, I, I was hoping <laughs> they were going to take you know another step. Well, up. first of all. I I don't. There's no way they would go eight and four again and, and get still stuck get in the guaranteed, guaranteed rate bowl again, again. and I mean, play UNLV that, again. That in and of itself would suck. Play UNLV the third time. In that would really. Years. I'd be. That would piss me off. I'd be like, okay, what kind of sick joke is this? Like, what are we doing? I mean, give it. Play a different. There's 130 mm-hmm. damn teams. Pick a different team. Yeah. Well, now you know that Grim. I guess uh, Quentin Skinner hasn't officially announced what he's going to do, but. I think the expectation at this point is that he'll be back. Uh, For what it's worth, the transfer portal closed as of midnight last night, but there is like a 48-hour processing that can go on. So technically, it's like, you know how they have the NFL trade deadline or the MLB trade deadline. It'll be at like 3 o'clock, but then you'll hear trades come down at like 3.30 just because it takes some time to process. So theoretically, we still need to be on watch for the next rest of today and rest of tomorrow. So what, but a lot of times these, nine hours today, plus yeah, 20, 33 hours, thirty three hours. But I, I mean, most of the time uh, when a kid enters the transfer portal, even if it is processing, they're just going to post on their social media. Yeah, it's usually yeah, usually there's some sort of. So I feel somebody, like we would know. I feel like we would know. I would think so too, but I don't know. 
But yeah, man, Grimm uh, comes off. So he, as a junior, had 52 catches for 623, six touchdowns. As a senior, some of those numbers went down. 33 catches, 555 yards. Did average way more yards per catch, 16.8 compared to 12. Six touchdowns as well. Um, he did have to deal with a few minor injuries throughout the season. I remember that. I think what, what hurt some of the numbers, too, was um, obviously you had three different quarterbacks that played. That's going to hurt a little bit. But also, yeah. we know he has a great connection with Jalen Daniels. Jalen played more games last year than he did this year. So, uh, But either way, he was yeah. dominant in both bowl games, and he's clearly someone who, you know, I, I look at him as being somebody who I, I know the numbers, 555 yards, like that's not going to get you on an all-Big 12 conference team. For my money, he is one of the 10 best receivers in the Big 12. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that's the same with LJ Arnold. That's the yeah. same with Quentin Skinner uh, for next year. Like, I view all three of those guys as top 10 receivers in the Big 12. I guess, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that because I, I don't know. Arizona has a lot of good receivers coming in and stuff. But Texas and OU are leaving. So, uh, when you look at Pro Football Focus, like, all three of those guys were top 12 this year. So, coming back yeah. another year, why wouldn't that be the case? But yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly not that. Arnold and Grimm were expected to leave or expected to go pro. So from that standpoint, this isn't like a surprise, and it doesn't completely change how we view next year's team since we had kind of been penciling that in. But it's nice to see that being official because you go into next year, and obviously you have to really hope Jalen Daniels stays healthy. But if he does, the weaponry around him is is pretty exquisite. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Jalen Daniels stays healthy, you look at this KU offense as being one of the best in the Big 12 in terms of talent, right? Now, it'll come down to Jalen Daniels' health, and it'll come down to, obviously, the implementation of Jeff Grimes uh, and his play-calling style and how the offense wants to wants to run with him. But uh, in the bowl game, with Jim Zabrowski calling the plays, it was he, he was willing to, to take some chances in terms of pushing the ball more down the field vertically a little bit. You wonder if that'll continue with Jeff Grimes. But, yeah, I don't know how you can't be over the moon if you're Kansas right now with the fact that you've got Lawrence Arnold and Luke Grimm back, Devin Neal, plus Jalen Daniels if he can stay healthy. And then on top of that, just your ability as a whole to retain a lot of the talent on your roster. I mean, you didn't really lose any guys off of your roster to the transfer portal when you see a lot of schools that will be losing double-digit guys and they're going to lose some guys that were impact players for them. That wasn't really the case for KU, right? You look at the guys they did lose in the transfer portal, they basically lost one starter with Armaje Reed Adams and then one rotation guy with Gage Keys on the defensive side, and they lost some other guys that weren't on the two deep. So... Just beyond Luke Grimm and, and Lawrence Arnold, it was really a, a picture-perfect way to end the season for Kansas. You, you get the bull win, you're able to use that momentum to launch yourself into the offseason, and then on top of that, you don't you manage to retain a lot of key players and a lot of guys that possibly could have looked to other areas, right, uh, in terms of NIL or in terms of even going to the NFL. You know, I mean, Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold, as you said, both those guys could have could have declared for the NFL draft, and maybe would have gotten drafted and, and probably would have made an NFL team. Uh, they also could have transferred and gone somewhere else, maybe, right? To Maybe they wanted to go to an offense where they could have been the guy. But instead, they stayed committed to Kansas and stayed committed to continuing to build what KU is striving for, which is uh, a championship-level football team under Lance Leipold. So, I mean, this is really the past, you know, at this point, almost two weeks for KU, I think, have gone about as well as you could ask for if you're Kansas, right? I mean, the only guy that is appears to be departing the program that I think really stings is, is Austin Booker, right? Mm-hmm. Going, but, but again, if Austin Booker is headed to the NFL and he gets drafted, you know, maybe fairly highly or whatever, or, and, and, and is successful early in the NFL, 
that in and of itself becomes a positive really for KU from a recruiting standpoint, from a program standpoint. So it's not even like it's a big negative if he ends up going on and having success beyond Kansas at the NFL level. So you bring back all those guys, Devin Neal, Jalen Daniels, Luke Grimm, Lawrence Arnold, and those are those are three players, four players really, that I feel have the ability, and you can even throw Quentin Skinner in there to a certain extent, have the ability to take over a game and be a game-breaking type player. And when you have that many guys that you feel like could flip a switch and go off in any game, that is very, very difficult to handle if you're an opposing defense. And I think that's got to be even more of a reason for optimism for for the Kansas offense going forward. And, you know, we talked about it. Losing Andy Kolnicki definitely, definitely hurt, but this offense was never just one individual. This offense was never just the play calling. It was never just, you know, one player or, or whatever. And we saw that with even with, you know, the Jalen Daniels injury, Jalen Jason Bean steps up. Then Jason Bean goes down, Cole Ballard steps in. So it's it, it's a it's a collective unit, the offense. And I think we saw that in the bowl game with what they were able to do with Jim Zabrowski. And then again, now you're going to have Jeff Grimes coming in. And so it's just, uh, it, it, this, this offense has a chance to be one of the best in the country, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and by the way, I'm looking, this is, uh, I guess, post-bowl game numbers for those pro football focus grades. And uh, obviously the KU receivers all saw their grades go up even more from what they already were because of that uh, strong performance. So these are the Big 12 receivers by PFF grade, which not the be-all, end-all, but still is is kind of nice to see, um, for the minimum snap count. You have Jaden Higgins at Iowa State, number one, which... Higgins is a junior, so he can come back next year or go pro. I guess he has a decision to make. Javon Baker for UCF, he can come back another year or go pro. Then you have Drake Stoops and Andrell Anthony from Oklahoma. They're gone. Hudson Clement at West Virginia. I don't know who that is. That sounds like a very West Virginia wide receiver, though. <laughs> I would say that. Uh, looks like he was only a sophomore this year, so I'd imagine he'll be back Um he was a red, yeah, redshirt sophomore this year. So I'd imagine he'll be back next year for West Virginia. And then after that, those were your top five by PFF grade. Sixth was LJ Arnold. Seventh was Quentin Skinner. Eighth was Luke Grimm. So you had three of the top eight receivers in the Big 12 this year. Um, I know like AD Mitchell got knocked for, I don't know, like run blocking and stuff for Texas. Xavier Worthy got knocked for run blocking at Texas. Realistically, those are probably two of the top ten, too. Oh, like, no, they're you know terrible. I mean? They suck. <laughs> I mean, they're awful. There's other good receivers. But point being, if you had three of the top eight, and now you're talking about both Oklahoma guys are gone, that means you now have three of the top six. And then if I go look at the guys coming in from the Pac-12, the only one that would be ranked higher is Tate Roa McMillan for Arizona. Who's the sophomore who put up unbelievable numbers yeah, this year? And the guy that you know, just went nuts All in the uh, Alamo Bowl for Arizona. Yes, yeah. So that means that you have by PFF grade three of the top seven returning receivers in the Big Twelve next year. That is yeah. very incredible. Yeah, and uh, shows the potential of what this offense. Oh, can by be. the way, throw in Devin Neal. Yeah, that doesn't hurt, right? By the way, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, ESPN released their top one hundred players in college football this year. Mm. Devin Neal was on there. He was the only a Jayhawk on there. I was a little surprised that you didn't get. Uh, maybe Dominic Pooney or Austin Booker on there. I thought they could have. There's a lot of good players in college football, so I understand, but I thought they maybe could have been on the back list. I was surprised how low Devin Neal was considering how many running backs were on there. He was 86th, which in its own, you know, that, that's not a bad place. Pretty to good. Be, right? There's, like I said, a lot of good players in college football. Sure. But what's surprising, he was the 14th running back. Mm. There are no way there are 13 <laughs> running backs better than Devin Neal in college football. There's just not. Well, There's not. 
I'll tell you what. Send ESPN an email. Okay. Tell them. I'm sure they'll gripe. read it and take it into account and change the rankings. Tell them your gripe yeah. and uh, let's see if they get back to us. Yep. All right. We're going to take a time out. Let's have some fun with numbers. Henry Greenstein joins us after that. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein, KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal World, coming up in 20 minutes here on RCST with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's have some fun with numbers. Fun with what? Numbers. We're going to start on basketball. Oh. So okay. uh, this would be kind of cool. Right now, Kevin McCuller is averaging over 20 points per game. Mm. He would be just the second KU guard under Bill Self to score 20 or more points per game. That's a cool list. Yeah. You know who the other guy is? Frank Mason, right? That's right. Yeah. One national player of the year. You might have heard of him. Wait, he did? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Obviously, Ochai got really close. Uh, Jalen was more of a forward. Yeah. He got close-ish. Sure. Um. But yeah, man, it's it's not not a very big list to say the least. So I mean, it, it makes it very impressive with what he would be able to do. And I don't know that <clears throat> you know, when, like when award voters are voting at the end of the season, they're not going to look at it and be like, "Oh, well, this guy's only the second guy ever to do that under Bill Self." Versus if he averages nineteen and a half points per game, like, is it really going to be that big a difference? But I don't know. It's just something kind of cool. twenty looks a lot better than nineteen and a half. It does. It does <laughs> for sure. How about this one? Uh, there have been eight past KU players. Since 1992, as far back as Sports Reference would do the search, so about 30 years here, okay. to average at least 12 points, four rebounds, three assists per game. Okay? Okay. Here's the list. 12-4-3. 12-4-3. Kirk Heinrich. Nice. Frank Mason did it twice. Keith Langford. Devon Dotson. Steve Woodbury. Ryan Robertson. Jared Haas. And Devontae Graham. Both Kevin McCuller and K.J. Adams are doing that this year. Wow. I think, obviously, K.J. Adams would be the one that would be more surprising. Sure. Right? But, listen, he's very efficient. I mean, when you dunk a lot, that, that helps. It does. Uh, and he's been he's been doing better getting rebounds. And, and then I think certainly we're starting to see his passing ability, mm-hmm. which, you know, Bill Self has been dropping hints here and there about his ability to pass the ball and things like that. And, you know, he's a guy that it's obvious to me that KU feels comfortable with KJ Adams with the ball in his hands in the not immediate paint, but like that secondary paint area, right? Like near the elbow positions like that. And I think it's pretty clear that they, they feel comfortable with, with KJ with the ball in his hands in those areas. And I think the only reason they would is because they know that he could be an effective passer and, and can and can see the floor really well, uh, which is demonstrated by the you know, some of the assist numbers he has so far this season. So that makes a lot of sense and I think it's really cool to see because you want to talk about a Swiss Army knife. KJ Adams. That guy can do anything. Do literally anything you want except shoot threes. Everything else he can do. <laughs> but 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 you know, he's just a he's a he's the energizer bunny on the floor. He's the emotional heart and soul of the team. He's always fired up. He's always getting guys fired up. He can make big plays with his athleticism by dunking the ball. He can make big plays with his vision, passing the ball. Uh and he's and he's a really, really strong defender, as evidenced by the fact that there's been games this season where KU has said Hey KJ, go guard the other guy's biggest, other team's biggest guy. You know, I know we have Hunter Dickinson, but you're better. Go guard him. <laughs> so it's it's been very very impressive to see, and and obviously I think it, it's safe to say that KJ at this point is going to go down as one of the most beloved Kansas basketball players. You know, maybe his name's not going to be all over the history books with records and things. I don't like know, that. man. I could see the way that the way that Kevin had the jump and Jalen had the jump and Ochai. I could see that being KJ next year. You think so? Taking that jump to being somebody who's averaging. 16, 17 points per game. Maybe. You know? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. 
But uh, but I think regardless, he certainly has well established himself yeah. already in the KU fan lore. Uh, at the very least. Well, so. at the very least, right now he's in the. If you're having the conversation of of like, I guess best role players, best glue guys, maybe is the way of putting it. I I don't know that I view KJ as a glue guy as much as I view him as a like yeah, stud I know. role a player. Glue, glue guy almost feels like a bit of a slight to him. Yeah, because he's definitely even saying the role player thing does exactly. You know exactly. Even but though like, even though he is legitimately the the what third fourth going option. Okay, this would be a fun way of putting it. When you talk about the best list of KU players who are, for instance, the, I guess it depends whether you think Dewan Harris or KJ Adams is KU's third best player. I think it's been KJ this year. Yeah, this year, yeah. If you were to say the best, <laughs> the best all time third best players on a KU basketball team, you know, <laughs> or at least under like Bill Self's time, right? You think back to like some of the years with, you know, Roy Williams when you think to the third guy being. I mean, he had some loaded years where the third guy might have been like Kirk Heinrich or um, like a Scott Pollard or I, I guess in certain years you could argue was it was the third guy Rafe LaFrance, Jock Vaughn, or might have been Paul Pierce. Like, right, there, there are certain years where the third guy is is still like All-American level. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of years where the third guy isn't quite what you know, you've gotten so far this year out of KJ. So I, I don't know. Maybe that deserves more deep dive into. But yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to have both those guys on that list. Uh, how about this? Hunter Dickinson currently is averaging about 12.5 rebounds per game. So that got me thinking, what is the all-time KU mark for rebounds per game? Well, I don't think he has a chance of of getting to that. No offense, Hunter. But Wilt Chamberlain averaged 18.9 <laughs> rebounds per game in 1957. He that also just, averaged 17.5 his next year in 1950. It just doesn't seem like it should be legal. <laughs> like, How does that even happen? I don't know. I mean, is this guy playing with a vacuum cleaner attached to his arms? It's incredible. Or does he put a magnet in the ball and he's no, got he magnets really in his hands? No, it really is incredible. I, I don't understand. I mean, how does that happen? Well, then the third on the list, that's even tough to catch because the guy who's third is actually third, fourth, and fifth. Maybe the most underrated rebounder in KU basketball history, Bill Bridges. He averaged 14.1 in 1961, 13.8 in 1960, 13.7 in 1959. So that rounds out the top five. got to average at least 13 That's a name that feels like it could come up on a really hard question in they could, RCC yeah. trivia. Who owns three of the top five <laughs> uh, individual rebounding seasons? That would be a good question. Uh, and then Clyde Lavelle at sixth with 13.2 one of his years. Dave Robish is seventh at 12.1. So currently Hunter Dickinson, as, as great of a rebounder as he's been, this more speaks to like how many great big men KU's had, yeah. he would still only be seventh in rebounds in, in yeah. a KU single season. Yeah. Uh, if we go by total rebounds, though, that is one that Hunter has a chance to move to the top or towards the top because obviously they play more games now and he's going to have a real opportunity for the total rebounds. So the top three in total rebounds for a season at KU. Number one is Wilt Chamberlain with 510 in 1957. That's a lot of rebounds. It is. Number two is Thomas Robinson with 463. He did that in 2012. Obviously, he was a great rebounder, and they played all those games. They went to the national title game. Yeah. Drew Gooden was third. He had 423 of them in 2002. And that's another guy who, good rebounder, and they went all the way to the final four. Uh, currently, Hunter Dickinson has 163 in 13 games. So let's say if if you were to put it at, okay, KU plays 18 conference games and he stays healthy and plays in every game the rest of the way, and then let's say KU plays at least five postseason games. That would be, you know, maybe two in the Big 12 tournament, three in the NCAA tournament, or three in the Big 12 tournament, two in the NCAA tournament. That's kind of a loose, not even projection, that's just kind of more of a conservative number just to give you an example here. Uh, that would mean in a 36-game season, he would be on pace right now for 451. That only That'd put him in third on its own. Hypothetically, let's say KU 
went to the national title game. So you played nine postseason games. Yeah. Three in the Big 12 tournament, six in the uh, NCAA tournament. I mean, in 40 games, he would be pretty much right at 500, right? It would put him at 501 and a half. Yeah. Which would be about eight and a half on on pace for behind Wilt Chamberlain. So, I mean, if he ups it a little bit, KU goes to the national championship, there is a chance he could get that mark. How does he, what if he, what if he does pass Wilt? It would be pretty incredible. Bill <laughs> Self would definitely uh, make a joke about being like, well, it was different with Wilt. They played, I wonder how many games they played like, that what? year. Probably like 30 <laughs> games, you know what I mean? So it would it would be different. It's just one of those things. Sure. Okay, yeah. they, would you like to guess how many games they played in 56 oh, They probably only played like 26. You were right there. It was 27 oh. with the national title. Ah. That would be hilarious if it's like, oh, it took this guy who was having one of the best rebound seasons we've seen in – of, two, of uh, all time. Bill Self, you know, of two, three decades in here. In the modern era. And it took him playing 40 games to match what somebody did in 27 because that is how <laughs> ridiculous Will Chamberlain is. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, what about some football fun with numbers here? Okay. Austin Booker's gone, obviously. Uh, you know, you lose some other defensive linemen, whether it's the graduation like Hayden Hatcher and Devin Phillips. Yeah. You know, it's guys like that. Here is, as of right now, the returning sack totals for KU headed into 2024. You have four and a half sacks. This is just from this past season and next year from Jeremy Robinson. Two sacks from J.B. Brown. One sack from Kobe Bryant. One from Cornell Wheeler. One from Melo Dotson. One from Tywan Berryhill. One from Jason Gilliam. So all linebackers and DBs. And then half a sack from Caleb Taylor. It's not a lot of production. And when you look at it as, okay, J.B. Brown is kind of a, like they would use him as a DN, sometimes more of a linebacker, but still. Yeah. Among the players I just listed, the only true defensive lineman, Jeremy Robinson and Caleb Taylor, five well, combined sacks coming back for your defensive line. That is a little okay. bit concerning. Let me ask, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. This offseason, we sat here. Oh, Jeremy Robinson needs to step. Oh, can he step up? Blah 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 blah. blah. Well, obviously, we didn't know Austin Booker was going to do what right. he did. So, were we just a year early on that conversation? Does that mean? Do we need? Is that a conversation we need to have again this year? Probably. Where is he? Is Jeremy Robinson poised to become the guy? You kind of need him to be, don't you? Well, we thought so. We thought so this year. I guess we. Yeah, and then it wasn't the truth. He comes in. And he gets eight sacks. You know, and it's totally fine. We, I guess, we really need to figure out if it's Woodkey, Woodkey, yeah, Woodkey. Well, okay, I guess I guess the number you're kind of looking for. Ku as a team was at like twenty. I don't know what it was after. Well, I don't think they got any in the bowl game. So I think it was like 26, 27 sacks this year. No, Kobe Bryant. He had a corner blitz. For oh, sack. that's right. Okay, in the bowl game. Yeah, there was the one sack. So I actually well, think that I, I was the only sack, though. 27 sacks, something like that, is what KU had, 27, 28. Maybe you go into the year and just say, okay, it's going to be hard to be as good as we were last year unless you do hit somebody big in the portal or you have a big jump like a player like Jeremy Robinson or who knows, maybe what if one of the freshmen, what if Deshaun Warner, Dak Brinkley is ready to play right away? Then, then that Could changes be. the precipice of this. But maybe you view it as, hey, can we just get to 24 sacks right through the regular season? That'd be two again. Yeah. Can you get that? Yeah. And if you're trying to piece it together with saying 24 sacks – if you can get, you know, Robinson was at four and a half this year. Can he get to six or seven next year? Can Woodkey get you five? Get you to 12? Sure. Can the collection of, again, you're just naturally going to get some from blitzes, from linebackers and corners. So, I mean, with, with Kobe, uh, Wheeler, Mello, Barry Hill, and Gilliam, that's five well, right the, there. Oh, yeah, let's, say two more. let's do the math. You so got five seven. already this season. Yeah, well, seven with, with J.B. Brown. So, let's say you get eight combined because obviously that doesn't even count like rich miller and some of those guys is graduating then that would give you eight more so if you're getting seven from robinson five from woodkey eight from the others 
Can you get four from the rest of your defensive tackles and, and DNs? That that seems doable. Could be. Yeah. And listen, remember, not all sacks are created equal. No, they're so not. Maybe even maybe and your sacks sack isn't numbers. The be all end all. Sometimes it can be more about pressures. That yeah. So sack. maybe your sack numbers do dip, but if you're getting them in critical moments on third downs and pressures sure. and whatnot, like you alluded to, you can have it. You can the numbers can maybe a bit, be a bit deceiving to where it's like, oh, they're not as good. But if you're having them at more impact moments, maybe you still end up being positive in that yeah. area. And again, you could be worse at pass rush, but if you're even better against the run, if you're even better at forcing turnovers, um, then it washes out, or you actually could still be better on defense that way. So that's certainly something to watch. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, KU football finished with 24 passing touchdowns this year compared to 11 interceptions, which, when you put it all together, that sounds modest compared to what they ended up doing and, and what maybe we would have thought coming into the year, because the year yeah. before it was even crazier than that. Yeah. Um, what would you put on the over like if I said over unders twenty four and then eleven for the interceptions for next year? Would you what would you put for the over under for both those? I think for touchdown passes, I'd probably say around the same number to be honest. Yeah, maybe twenty five. I don't know because interceptions. Like, I think I'd be willing like, to put if the Jalen under. Daniels is guaranteed out the whole season. I would maybe say like twenty eight, mm-hmm. but that's not a guarantee. Nope. So I don't know. On interceptions, I would think it'll be a little bit lower. You know, Jason Bean obviously was fantastic in what he brought to the team and everything, but, I mean, listen, the the guy had a tendency to sometimes <laughs> throw the ball into coverage. Uh, so I would expect that number to go down a little bit. It could be like eight or nine. Yeah, maybe even lower. I was thinking like seven. So, But that's pretty exciting if, if we're talking... I'd lean over on the touchdowns. I'd lean under on the interceptions, and, and yeah. you already had a pretty. Which obviously, that, good year I think there. that's just a reflection of the fact that we both believe that Jalen Daniels is a really high quality mm-hmm. quarterback, and if he can be healthy for the whole season, you'd expect him to put up numbers at least comparable to what they put up this season collectively, and could be better. Last one I got here: Devin Neal carries by year. One fifty-eight as a freshman, one eighty as a sophomore, two hundred three as a junior. So each year, it's. One year it went up by 22, the next by 23. If you assume it goes up by, let's just say, 24, that trend continues, uh, then it would be 227 next year. Would you take the over-under on that I'm amount going, of carries for Devin? I'm going under on that for You're sure. going under? Yeah. I think, if anything, if anything, the carries might be lower, but maybe they, he gets more involved in the passing game. But I would not expect him to have more than that. I'd actually take over. I, I think next year we see more of a... You think Jeff Grimes is just going to say... Workhorse type right. running back. I, I think Devin really separated himself from from Highshaw over the last half of the season. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, joins us next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer, and we're joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Henry, thanks for hopping on today, and Happy New Year. Uh, what to you with the offseason really in full force now? Obviously, the, the transfer portal deadline occurred last night at midnight. What offseason decision so far sticks out to you the most for KU football headed into 2024? Man, happy new year to you too, first of all. But Thank man, I, I did not see the Armand J. Reed Adams news coming. I mean, that's a guy who's been shaped into a starter. He's he's developed really nicely over his time. 
still had plenty of eligibility left and would certainly have been a, a full-time starter next year. So that one hits KU pretty hard. And, you know, not that Spencer Lovell had, had been particularly exceptional or gotten an insane amount of time, but he would have been in line for, for more playing time in the wake of that decision too. So suddenly the offensive line, which has so long been a strength for KU, is going to be a, a little patchy in the spring. And I'll be interested to see if they're actually able to bring anyone in to add to that. What do you feel like right now is the biggest roster strength for 2024? That's a good question. Um, I think one that immediately comes to mind is just skill positions, but especially running back and wide receiver. You know, we don't know for sure yet about Devin Neal's decision, but Samuel is usually wrong about that stuff. But wide receiver, I mean, having the same top three guys for the, like the third year in a row is going to be really good for KU. And uh, assuming Jalen can stay healthy, that has a potential to be better to a degree that we maybe didn't even know was possible. So that comes to mind as a potential strength. Uh, and then the top two cornerbacks, obviously. But I can't say cornerback as a whole because we don't exactly know how things will take shape beyond Kobe and Melo. Derek and I were just discussing the fact that you look at the returning production for KU in terms of their pass rush. Besides Jamie Robinson, you don't really have a whole lot. Uh, is that a concern for you right now? And how hard do you expect KU to go out in the transfer pool to maybe add more like they did last year at the pass rusher position? Yeah, it is a concern for me. I believe that uh, Dylan Woodkey has a chance to get some playing time at defensive end right away, but we don't really know. Like with, this, with effectively taking two steps up in competition from Youngstown State, right? Ku, not sure exactly how his production will transfer. And even after getting him, they've continued to seek out uh, new new talent at that position. I mean, a lot of the offers you'll see who are reporting from Ku are going to, to defensive linemen. That said, I almost feel like a defensive tackle would be a bit more of a need for them at this juncture, since they already have Woodkey coming in. You know, Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, and other people who have been in the program a super long time and have steadily improved. So I don't feel too bad about trotting them out there. But for a unit that likes rotating as much as those do, I'm not sure you want to go in with like Caleb Taylor and Keenan Caldwell as your only other options at that position. I'd, I'd really like to see them pick up a defensive tackle, I think. Yeah, what would you say is the biggest hole right now, or maybe the position you do have the most questions? Would it be D-line? Would it be the offensive line after the Reed Adams move, or where do you think that biggest question mark lies? Uh, yeah, I, I, I really didn't think this was going to be the case, but I think it is the offensive line at this point because I think a lot of people just took it as a foregone conclusion that you would move Michael Ford to center, you would have Kobe Baines and Armadio Reed Adams as the starting guards, and then you would have Cable do and Calvin Clements or Logan Brown or, or something as the other tackles, and then suddenly now you've got a massive hole there. And I mean, on the one hand, now you maybe you have a chance you can keep forward as a guard if you can bring in a good enough center in the portal, but that is uh, center in the portal just doesn't sit well with me in terms of like the person who's supposed to be the anchor of your offensive line and leading the whole thing. Maybe I'm overvaluing that position, but that seems like if you don't get the right fit, you could be in trouble. So that stands out to me. And then something where they haven't really necessarily lost people to the portal, but is, is concerning is linebacker, just because at linebacker you're counting on a lot of backup guys to take the next step. You know, we were, we were just talking about uh, some of Devin Neal's numbers, and his carries went up from uh, in the high 100s by 22 to year two, and then they they went up, uh, or, or in kind of the mid one hundreds to to the high one hundreds year two. Then they went up twenty three from year two to year three uh, this past year to the low two hundreds. So if you just keep that 
I guess trend going up, it'd, it'd go up another 24 next year and uh, be around 220, 225 for next year. If I gave you over under 225 carries for Devin Neal in 2024, barring he stays healthy, would you take the over or would you take the under? Uh, that's tough. Okay, so on the one hand, I think there's a scenario where maybe high shot doesn't get quite as high a portion of carries as he did this year. But on the other hand, I think there's a chance they aired the ball out more with, with Daniels back and with a new system with Grimes. So I'm leaning a little bit toward under. I mean, obviously, Devin Neal can do a lot with every carry that he gets. So uh, it, not that it's necessarily a smarter thing to give him fewer carries, but I don't know. I feel like the past may, may take on a slightly greater role if they can get a full season of healthy Jalen Daniels. What do you think the proper expectation for the amount? Because I, I, I know that's going to be the talk all offseason. Can Jalen stay healthy? Can he play the full season? I almost am going to go into it, and, and you hope that would be the case, saying what is what is the number that you can expect him to play? Uh, you go back to this past year. Obviously, it was a, a lower number, what, three, four games this past year. You look back to the year before, and it was basically five and a half before he got injured, and then he finishes up with uh, the last two games, the one of them, it didn't seem fully healthy than the bowl game. So I guess last year was like eight and a half. This year, less than a handful. Do you go into the season, and is it a better way to approach it and just be like, if you can just get nine healthy games from Jalen Day or whatever that number would be, I guess what would you put that at? I I don't know if you can approach it that way because I really feel like the, you know, you're not, you can't look at it like, okay, we're going to cure Jalen Daniels back and we just have to hope he doesn't injure another part of his body. Like, your focus really has to be thinking about the back thing. I mean, for me, if he has any less than 12 games, that probably means that the back has flared up at an inconvenient time and you've had a, someone starting on short rest. So I think you, you have to go for, for 12 games and 13 with a bowl game to, to feel really content about where things are at, especially with Cole Boward being a, a – the worst backup option at this juncture in his career that Jason Bean was this past season. I, I understand the point of what you're saying. Like, like, will KU be happy if they just get three quarters of a season of Jalen Daniels? But the back thing doesn't seem like something that's going to briefly drop in and then and then go away, and then you get him for like the remaining nine games. Like, it seems like it could crop up and go away and crop up. So I don't. I think that if you have anything less than twelve, and he's dealing with an injury. That isn't sorry. If you have anything less than twelve, and you're dealing with just the back injury, that's a problem. Is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, and I guess who knows? Because if if there is another injury, we've seen other injuries in the past. Could it be that? Could it be the back again? I, I guess we haven't heard fully on uh, the off season for him. Does he have to get surgery? Is it just something he's going through? I, I don't know. I guess that does depend. What what if he does play nine games? If if it is that number, how much? If I told you that was going to be the case right now, how much would that affect the amount of games that you think they could or would win next season? Yeah, I I, I don't think. I mean, obviously Jalen is, is can be a transcendent player when he's healthy, but I don't think that if you're thinking he's missing three regular season games. Assuming that they've had a full week of preparation with Cole Boward or maybe even Isaiah Marshall, as the case may be, I, I think you still go into that game thinking with the rest of the continuity they have, KU could probably still win a game. So I don't think it will be the end of the world for them if Jalen Daniels plays only nine games next season. Having said that, it's not going to do any favors for Jalen Daniels' like professional prospects or, or just the, the overall image of the KU offense if that happens. We're talking with Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. 
Uh, I want to switch over to some KU basketball. Big 12 play gets going this Saturday. Kansas takes on TCU, and things are really going to heat up for KU and Big 12 play with the amount of great teams that are in the conference. With where we are now in conference play and compared to where we were at the beginning of the season, obviously the, the resume looks great, 12-1 and record. Some of the metric sites don't love this team where they're at right now. With where they are at this point in time, Henry, do you feel like they are better, worse, or the same from where you thought they would be at this point in time before the season began? I think they are the same as where I thought they would be. I think if anyone told you, this is such a Bill Self kind of thing to say, but if anyone told you that you would play all those games against that high-level competition come away with one loss, I think you would certainly have been happy with that. I think the fact that uh, that Nick Timberlake hasn't really been much of a thing has been offset by the sheer success the starting lineup has had and the fact that the freshmen seem to be coming along fairly well. So on the whole, I'd say about the same. I mean, uh, I, I think you really can't be too disappointed with, their, with where they're at, especially now that via the Wichita State game, they had a rather convincing performance uh, against an opponent. It didn't seem like they were looking past them in any way. They didn't really let them get back into the game. So I think that performance was a nice tone to conclude the non-conference slate on. It's always a fun conversation when, when you can have this where you have the discussion, okay, maybe he's the best player, but this guy's most important to the team, or, or this is you know, the, the most valuable to the team. If you had to have that conversation, because I, I think it's very tough right now, uh, just to begin with, with Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller at the top, but I don't know, maybe you could argue Dewan Harris or, or KJ Adams in terms of just value bringing what they do to the table. Who do you think at this point in time has been the most important, not necessarily the best, but the most important player for KU and, and will be moving forward? I continue to stand by my notion, and I believe Nick has mentioned this on a previous show, that, that Kevin McCuller is really kind of what holds the starting lineup together at this point, especially with how much of an engine he's been on offense and how he can get to the line seemingly at will. And, you know, he keeps posting these, these 20-something point games without even shooting well on offense. It's very possible that we'll see. I mean, he, he already had the 34-point the game in non-conference, but there will be times in Big 12 play where he will absolutely go off and he will single-handedly carry the team to victory. And We already saw some games kind of like that. I think just his skill set has become so well-rounded and the offense functions so much worse than when he's not in there that I really don't think you have a choice other than to say Kevin McCullough at this point. That's just me. So if, if you were making a vote right now for Big 12 Player of the Year, which, again, that's different than the first question I just asked, but maybe there is a little bit of similarity because I guess value does matter, you would be going with Kevin McCuller over Hunter Dickinson? Yeah, I guess when you put it that way, it sounds like a higher-stakes decision. But yes, yes, I guess I would. Hunter has obviously been excellent as well, but as he would tell you, he, he hasn't always played up to his potential in every game thus far, I think. Kevin McCuller is operating uh, at such a high level, and even in the games, even in games where he's off, he's still doing incredibly well. That's what I'm saying. Whereas we have games where Hunter's off and he scores six points against Yale. So, I yes, I would probably give Kevin the edge right now. I have to look around the Big Twelve to see if anyone is is really comparing to that. But I, I, I will give Kevin a slight edge in terms of performance so far. All right, which of these players the rest of the way? So, uh, getting into conference play here. Who do you have the most confidence in if you want to rank them one through three? Nick Timberlake, who 
was really good in the Yale game, but that did not carry over to the Wichita State game. El Marco Jackson, who struggled in the Yale game, but I thought was really good in the Wichita State game. Or Johnny Furphy, who did not play in the Yale game, came back, was very aggressive, didn't have the best game against Wichita State, but I, I thought it was encouraging that he was aggressive. How, how would you rank those three in terms of who you would be most to least confident in the rest of the way performing for KU? I'm most confident in Omarco Jackson because when he's been at his worst, or not at his worst, when he's had worse games, it hasn't been quite as, I don't know, like obvious and debilitating as some of the poor games that, that Timberlake and even Furphy have had. I, I think Jackson has kind of established the highest baseline so far of any of those guys. And as Bill Self has been saying recently, you know, his defense has been improving, and that's a way he can continue to help out with the athleticism he has on the defensive end. I'm definitely most confident in El Marco. Beyond that, I mean, you know, I think Furphy has to be second and Timbrake has to be third. I really think that the Furphy of it all will not truly be unlocked until he begins to attack the basket more. You can see that instinct is in him. He hasn't quite gotten there. And because they need him to shoot threes so much, I think he feels that weight upon him and isn't like driving with the hoop in a Kevin McCuller kind of way. But he is really fundamentally an above-the-rim player. Um, but even despite that, even without that particular aspect of his game being unlocked, I think I have more confidence in him than Timberlake right now, um, just kind of for self-evident reasons, I guess. Could you see a world where Nick Timberlake is no longer part of the rotation here in a couple weeks or, or maybe a month and that Furphy does start to play a little bit better and, and they just decide to you know, give all, all of what Timberlake's minutes would have been to El Marco and Furphy? I don't see a world like that in part because the staff continues to have confidence that Timberlake can recover and in part because uh, I think that he will eventually improve a little bit. Um, now, that said, I mean, we've already seen games where Nick has seen his minutes reduced to very little and also where Jamari McDowell has seen basically no minutes. I mean, you get the Connecticut game. That would be a great example. I think Furphy was the only person who really played off the bench in that game, and Parker Brown wasn't in it very much. So that could provide a model for what we might see going forward. But I don't think there's a scenario where he gets fully eliminated from the rotation with how thin this team is overall. Well, uh, KU takes on TCU on Saturday at 1 o'clock. You can hear it right here on KLWN. What sticks out to you about the matchup or, or keys for KU to come out on top in their Big 12 opener? Well, for one thing, it'll be fun to see uh, Ernest Uday come back. He just had a 13.18 rebound game. Now, granted, that was against Texas A&M Commerce, but uh, didn't start the season very well, but has some momentum heading into this matchup. It'll be interesting to see how he's greeted back at the field house. Uh, it'll be fun to see him go up against Hunter Dickinson, or maybe they'll put KJ on him at some point. I don't know, but I don't know that they will put KJ on him because this is something else that sends out to me. is TCU has a lot of size at pretty much every position. Uh, so it'll be a challenge maybe in the paint for some of KU's defenders. Emmanuel Miller, obviously an extremely good player. Um, but I do think TCU, the 11-2 record is a little generous to them. There was a time last month where I was writing up some stuff about how the Big 12 was going, and TCU at that point had played the single weakest schedule in the entire country, according to Ken Palm. Now I think they're maybe like 10th weakest or 15th weakest, but they have not exactly tested themselves against the foremost competition thus far, and then as soon as they did, you know, lost to Clemson, lost to Nevada, and they only beat Georgetown on that buzzer beer that shouldn't have counted. So I think TCU has shown some promise, but they have not brought it against 
high-level teams thus far. Now, granted, last year they went into Allen Fieldhouse and did, did really well, but uh, I, I think this will be a steep step up for them in terms of what they've been playing so far. Yeah, to your point, five of their 11 wins to teams ranked 300 or worse, and that schedule ranking on Ken Palm is 350th in the country right now. Uh, well, Henry, before we let you go, what else do you guys have going on, or, or should people be on the lookout for at KUSports.com? Um, yeah, plenty to be excited about in the new year. The third and final part of my year in review is coming out in the next couple of days. It's like a look ahead to 2024, so some storylines to keep an eye on. I'd say watch for that, and then uh, just excited to get into the meat of basketball season coverage here. Expect a lot more in-depth stuff with basketball now that football has centered down. He's Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Henry, appreciate the time, man. Happy New Year's, and uh, thanks for hopping on. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, that's Henry Greenstein. Again, check out his work in the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. We got our NFL Week 17 recap, some KU women's and men's basketball audio, and KU men's and women's basketball talk on this episode of Rock Shock Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, we're going to be getting to some KU Women's Basketball preview coming up because that game you can be heard tonight right here on KLWN at 6.30 with a 6.15 pregame. Um, We also are going to get to some KU Women's Basketball and KU Men's Basketball audio uh, throughout the show here. And we will also get to a KU Basketball Heroes and Villains segment. So plenty more to come here talking some KU hoops on RCST. But right now we got to get to our NFL week 17 recap. One week to go in the NFL season. We're going to start with this. What was the best win of week 17? Dude, I think the best win had to have been the Cardinals, right? I mean, they go out, they're 13 point. By the way, my lock of the week, Cardinals. I okay, I literally thought I was like, man, what if I just say Cardinals money line lock of the week? I honestly had that thought. And I was like, you know what? Nah, no, nah, I'll just say, I'll just take the spread. I should have stuck with my gut, man. Cardinals. That had to, that has to be the best win, right? Going up on the road against the Eagles and to get the win like that, uh, really, really impressive stuff. So I think the Cardinals. But I also do want to give a shout out to the Packers as well. The Packers go against the Vikings, basically with a shot at the one of the last wild card spots on the line, essentially, and. They absolutely balled out. So I think the Cardinals and the Packers were uh, the two uh, two best wins. The only pushback I'd have to the Arizona one was, didn't theoretically it make their draft pick worse? And like, what are they playing for? Okay, dude. Okay, you play to I know. win I'm just the saying. game. Did it matter that? Okay, much, I guess. No, 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 no. You play to win the game. Okay, this is not M- This is not NBA, MLB tanking BS. No. You play to win the game. Okay, that's fine. All right. Well, uh, my plus uh, also you got to factor in the fact that Kyler Murray was playing, dreaming of Call of Duty the whole time, and it yeah, didn't matter. That's true. All right. Well, my best win. I'm gonna go with the the one that's low hanging fruit. Baltimore against Miami. I mean, they, they destroyed Miami. It was a battle for the one seed. If Miami wins the game, both teams would be tied right now, but Miami would have the head to head because Baltimore won the game they clinched the one seed they clinched the bye and on top of that they basically beat Miami by so much that I mean there's got to be some mental edge there going into the game so how can that not be the best win I I would say the Dallas win over Detroit 
would be in this discussion as well, but I feel wrong about doing that because it was aided by the refs and how that thing finished off. But just in terms of what the win meant for Dallas, because the Eagles lost, that win vaulted Dallas into first in the division. And on top of that, it kept them in front of Detroit for the two seed to where now if Dallas gets to play basically two home games at the very least in the NFC playoffs, um, and they've obviously been so much better at home. I guess I would throw the Saints and the Steelers in yeah. there because it kept oh, them alive in the playoffs. I didn't even realize this. The, the The Cowboys now have a 16-game home winning streak, which is kind of crazy. That's that's actually very crazy. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have lost, what, four home games this year? Yeah, the Chiefs suck. What is your uh, biggest surprise? Dude, I think the biggest surprise was maybe the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. I mean, going into Seattle. Going into Seattle with Mason Rudolph and getting the win. Uh, again, against another team, against another Seattle team at home that is was playing for a playoff spot, and Pittsburgh goes in, and they're much maligned offense all season. The, Pitts, the Steelers' offense sucks. Send Matt Canada back to Canada. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. Thirty points. They go out and they and they and they get a big win. So I think the Steelers were my biggest surprise because I'm not I'm not saying I'm surprised the Steelers won the game. In fact, I think I picked them in our game picks. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised in, at the way in which they won the game. Right, winning it in that fashion, thirty to twenty three, a more of a high scoring game. You know, I would have I would have thought they would have won it if they were going to win. It was going to be like you know thirteen to ten or something. Classic Steelers. See uh, George Pickett. So Kenny Pickett, um, Mason Rudolph basically has actually been playing well. Yeah. To this point, and he's so much so he's going to start this last week's game against the Ravens. Yeah. Where the Ravens are like sitting their starters, they have to win for a chance. Yeah, to uh, Tyler Huntley is going to be starting. For yes. The Pro Bowler Tyler Huntley. Who could forget <laughs> the uh, there was a video that somebody released of like. It was just some guy like dropping back, then throwing a football in the middle of nowhere, and then falling down and like faking an ankle injury after the pass was really bad. And he was like, "This is Kenny Pickett," and George Pickens liked the video. So that <laughs> George was Pickens is a menace, man. He is a menace. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I honestly, biggest surprise might be how much Baltimore won by. Because I, I thought that would be a good game. Miami actually beat Baltimore last year, and it was like a crazy fourth quarter comeback. Baltimore was kind of blowing them out, and then they had like a. It really in the fourth quarter, Tua just threw whatever he wanted in the second half of that game. Um, so that was definitely surprising that that they just absolutely dominated them. But what about Puka Nakua's just season as a whole? Puka Nakua had another good game for the Rams. He's continued to do so. Yeah. And no, I would say in like week four, I was like, okay, this guy's had a fun start to the season, yeah. but he's just going to fade. Right, Whatever, especially right? when Cooper Cup came back and it was yeah. like, okay, he'll lose Dude, some Because, like, targets. for instance, in, fan, in, in my fantasy football league, some guy, so we have a, our league is where, like, you can bid free agent money to mm-hmm. get players to, like, jump people on the waiver wire. Some dude bid, like, his entire season's worth of money and, and it probably on Puka Nakua. At the time, and you guess like, what? what he idiot. won the damn championship. Yeah. Yeah. He won the damn championship. He had five catches for 118 yards against the Giants. Week before, he had nine for 164 and a touchdown against the Saints. And now on the season, that gives Puka Nakua... Uh, 1,445 receiving yards, 101 catches, and five receiving touchdowns. By receiving yards, that is the third most ever by an NFL rookie. It is the second most ever in the Super Bowl era. Some dude named Bill Groman for the 1960 Houston (laughs) Oilers had 1,473 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns in 14 games. What a beast (laughs) that guy is. He deserves I mean, credit. So Puka Nakua is he's rookie of the year, right? But yeah, I mean he's eleven yards from passing what Jamar Chase did as a rookie a couple of years ago for the most in the Super Bowl era. I, I think he has to be. I know CJ Stroud was excellent, yeah. but he had he the injury. Hurt. And yeah. when you look at 
I don't know, I mean, man. If Fukunakua didn't exist, Rushi Rice would probably have a maybe some sort of case to be made there. Yeah, potentially. I think it'd be Stroud over Rice, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, Rice has moved in front of Tyreek Hill for most yards after catch in the NFL this season. Yeah. But yeah, man, just how good Puka Nakua has been. He's immediately turned into, I don't know, I guess if you're just basing it off the stats, he's a top five receiver in the NFL this season, which is uh, pretty be. crazy to get from a rookie. What is your biggest disappointment? Dude, my biggest disappointment is the stupid, dumb Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? That's you are playing a terrible Saints team with a chance to clinch the division at home and you go out and you you lay an A. A you do nothing. Yeah, not I mean, even as close good. as the score showed. God, man, what? I mean, what are we? What did? What, what? Was there no game plan? Was there no preparation? Getting blasted by the Saints? It was twenty to nothing after the third quarter. Oh, gosh, dude. I mean, what? I don't even understand how that happens. I mean, the NFC South is just. I mean, I've said it. I think I've said it before. It's an abomination. It's horrible. But Bucks, come on. It seemed like finally the Bucks were like the team that was. We're going to rise, rise from the ashes and be, like, semi-competent. And then they just go out and they just get shellacked at home with the division on the line to the Saints. Yeah. Now, on the flip side for the Bucks, maybe and maybe maybe the Bucks do this all along, they're playing the Panthers this week. So, assuming they don't lose to the Panthers, they're going to win the division anyways. But they could have wrapped it up this they could have wrapped it up this past week against the Saints. So, the Eagles are going to be the five seed, right? Because... The Rams are currently, yeah, yeah, okay. So the Eagles are basically going to be the five. I guess if the Cowboys lose and the Eagles win, the Eagles could still win the division. But yeah, but the Cowboys are playing the Commanders. That's so. right. So they're they're going to probably win that game. So realistically, Eagles are going to be the five seed. That means Eagles are going to have to go on the road against the winner of that division against either the Bucks, Saints, or Falcons. Which is unfortunate because the Eagles are playing like a bottom five team in the NFL over the last five weeks. Listen, if the Bucks beat the Panthers. I might come in next week and sit, pick saying the Bucks could beat the Eagles. I was just going to say, I think I'm going to pick, as bad as that division is, I think I'm going to pick them over the Eagles. The Eagles are trending, <laughs> which brings me to my biggest disappointment, which which is the Eagles. If you're Philadelphia, all you got to do is beat the 3-12 and Cardinals and then beat the Giants for a second time, who are also uh, just have five wins. You win those two games, you win your division. Yeah. That simple. Yeah. You lost to the Cardinals by giving up 35 points. You let them do whatever they wanted running the football yeah, on the long, offensive side of the ball. Long pick six also. Yeah, man. Um, it was bad. It, it was really bad. And uh, they're just tanking completely in the wrong direction. Really, ever since that Chiefs game. You go back to the Monday night game that they beat the Chiefs. I mean, imagine if MVS catches that pass. Then they'd be tanking even. They'd be 10-6 yeah. and six right now. There'd be like talk of, yeah. are they going to even make the playoffs? It'd be the same I, conversation I that people yeah. have with the Chiefs. Crazy. So, they're the biggest disappointment. I will say the Dolphins, by how much they lost by, there's a bit of disappointment in that. But For it's sure, got to yeah. be the Tua, Tua looked terrible. He did. MVP Tua. Am I right? Nope. <laughs> Wrong. What is the best ho-hum win? Best ho-hum win, I'm going to go with the, the Niners, San Francisco. They go out and they just absolutely plow through the Commanders, uh, beat them 27-10. to 10. Uh, a, a game that I never wanted to see on my red zone. I never even wanted to know that game was happening. I didn't care. Uh, the Niners go ahead and win. That one or the Jaguars. I mean, the, I mean, yeah. the Jaguars-Panthers game, another game that, again, I did not need any updates from. I didn't need to see it. I didn't even know it was happening. Just just let it happen in its own universe. I don't care. Uh, yeah, those are the two best at home ones. CJ Beathard threw for 178 yards, and they won by 28 or 26 points. That's uh, pretty incredible. There. Yeah, just a gross. That's a good ho hum. I mean, just gross. Uh, could I give one to Houston? I mean, they they kind of did what the Jaguars did to the Panthers, but they did that to the Titans, 26 to three. Kind of yeah. a ho hum. Again, not a game you really saw. I mean, 
I, I know it's kind of a blowout. So it, does that make it more than a home hum But the Titans are bad. Yeah, I kind of thought it was more more than a because like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was, but I, I think the other one that I would kind of point to in Chicago over the Falcons. Yeah, but see, that was another one where they kind of blew yeah. them out. Pretty good game. It I would was. say if you want to pick another one, the Broncos over the Chargers. Sure, another just gross sixteen nine like. Who in the hell? But they needed to, watch to win that it game. to stay. I don't even know if they still have a playoff shot uh, at this point. I think they. It was their only playoff shot. They had to hope that the. No, Chiefs I think they lost. don't. Well, hang on. I think if the Colts lose and the Broncos win, they might have a chance. Okay, so still possibly available. Yeah, that was a good ho hum win for them. Uh, week two MVP on offense. You, you did it again. It's week seventeen. I don't know why I keep doing that. Anyway, <laughs> let's keep with the bit. <laughs> I'm going to do that in the playoffs, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Who is the Week 2 MVP? <laughs> the Week 2 MVP of the playoffs? Yep. No, Week 2 regular season MVP. Who is the Week 17 MVP on offense? <laughs> there's some good ones to choose from, actually. Uh, I, I I could have gone with a couple different routes. You, you have a couple guys in here that I'm sure you'll talk about. Uh, Devontae Adams. How about Devontae Adams? Mm. 13 catches, two touchdowns for the Raiders. I know they didn't win the game, but uh, he's had a resurgence. You know, I, I think... When, when the His Raiders last were touchdown going through, allowed them to cover, which great teams cover. That's so. true, yeah. But, you know, when the Raiders were going through their turmoil, obviously Devontae was the one that was probably suffering the most from that in terms of his stats and kind of his reputation as being one of the best receivers in the league. But since they've since they've kind of moved past that with Antonio Pierce, he's, he's had a bit of a resurgence. And then uh, Joe Flacco, man. Joe MF and Flacco, the guy that could be somebody's dad in high school right now. Going out 300 yards again against the Jets to put the Browns in the playoffs. Incredible. Yeah, absolute beast. I'll go with Lamar Jackson. 18 of 21 for 321 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, added 36 on the ground. So basically over 350 total yards, more touchdowns than interceptions. They blew out the Dolphins, clinched the one seed. He probably clinched the MVP because he's not playing this week. Yeah. Lamar Jackson, offensive. I will say, uh, I, I should throw C.D. Lamb. As yeah, C.D. Lamb. To mention. 13 yeah. catches for 227 and a touchdown. He was unstoppable. Which yeah. He yeah, I mean, between, between C.D. Lamb and, and Devontae Adams. I mean, both those guys, two obviously. Teams. Two great receivers. For yeah. sure. What about your defensive MVP for Week 2? Yeah, I mean, shout out LeJarrius Sneed. He clamps down on uh, on Jamar Chase. And, uh, you know, Jamar Chase said he doesn't want to fight. I Listen, I don't want to fight LeJarrius Sneed. I no. mean, that dude's throwing punches in games all the time. I mean, Dude, that's his, that's his M.O. He's he's getting up in your face. He's knocking you around. I mean, why would you want to fight that guy? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I don't think Jamar Chase is standing on business at all. I think he's a fraud. Uh, just And he fits right in with the rest of the Bengals. We're also all frauds. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Jamar Chase, you can shut your pie hole and uh, see you never, especially mm. not in the playoffs. So we won't be seeing you there. Uh, and then, but also, I will say, uh, how about Josh Allen? Not not, he's an offense. Not Buffalo he's Bills. What you well, I mean, about? he did throw some interceptions against, no. the, seconds, <laughs> makes against the Patriots. <laughs> but, uh, no, Jaguars' Josh Allen mm. had three sacks in their win against the Panthers. Free agent at the end of the and year. And Sneaky is Beach? third in the NFL. Call him up. He's third in the NFL in sacks this year. Third. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, wanted to give a shout-out to him. But yeah. also shout-out uh, Bills' Josh Allen because he was helping defenses as well. That's right. And uh, how about one of the Bills' defenders, though, who helped get some interceptions back for him? Rasul Douglas would be one of my He had two interceptions, including a pick six. He's been an, a fantastic uh, addition. The Bills' secondary wasn't great, especially at the corner position through the first half of the season. At the trade deadline, they made a small trade to acquire Rasul Douglas, who's basically just, you know, he's just kind of like an average league corner. But that was a big upgrade for them, and he's played even above that so far since coming over 
over to Buffalo, give up a late-round draft pick for him. He had a really good game in this one. Either that or Aiden Hutchinson. He had three sacks, had a forced fumble, kind of took over the game, had five tackles. They helped. Uh, held down the Cowboys' offense just 20 points at home, which that's a good mark from what they've been able to put up in some of these other games, so he would go up there as well. What is your I think they're good? All right, I think I said this earlier in the season, talking about Jordan Love a little bit, uh, and then he had some bad games after I said it because that's just what happened. But I am willing to mm. declare I think Jordan Love is really good. I think the Packers game. are set to probably be, once again, a contender in the NFC and the NFC North. For a while now. Stats are really, really good this year. 3,800 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's good. They have a lot of young, good receivers that torch the Chiefs, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a couple of tight ends that are young and good. You know, Aaron Jones is aging, but you can get a running you know, running back for a diamond dozen. You'll be fine there. Uh, so I actually think Jordan Love is good, and I think the Packers are, are set up to be, again, one of the top teams in the NFC. I mean, the NFC North suddenly, to me, becomes one of the most interesting divisions in football going forward because... The Bears obviously have a big decision to make on whether or not they're going to go with Justin Fields, but think about it. Think about Justin Fields with Marvin Harrison and DJ Moore. That sounds yeah. pretty good. You look at the Lions, obviously, have been trending upwards the past couple of years. The Vikings, obviously, down this year, but you figure with Kirk Cousins back next season and, Maybe. and what, what they've Free got. Agent. I guess that's true. Maybe they could go a different direction with that. But that, to me, becomes one of the most interesting divisions in football, potentially. But, uh, yeah, I think Jordan Love, actually good. By the way, uh, Jordan Love's parents, I will uh, just say this and move on. You can make of it what you want. Uh, the dad's name, cool name, Orbin Love. The mom's name, this is a little unfortunate, Anna Love. Uh, you can put that together however you want. Anyway, uh, Jordan Love, since November oh. 19th against the Chargers, has 16 touchdowns to one interception. He's been yeah. balling, so I like yeah. that one for sure. Yeah, I'm going to go with Joe Flacco, but I don't know. We've been saying that for weeks. So if I want to pick a different brand, how about David and Joku? Dude's like a top five tight end. Yeah, I don't know why he's randomly he's good. Beast and off. Yeah, uh, the Giants with Terod Taylor. I actually think they're good when they have Terod Taylor. They almost beat the Bills. They almost beat the Rams. They stop. do have some wins with Terod. Hey, stop, stop, stop. Dude, they're good. No, stop. With Terod Taylor. No. They are. I'm telling you. No. I think they suck. I think they suck. Uh, the NFC South collectively. Okay. I've talked about that. They're they suck. They suck. They they are suck. They they epitomize <laughs> suck. And then uh, I I think the Titans suck. But I will say this. The Titans roster sucks, but I think Mike Vrabel is a very good coach. Mm. And if the Titans fire him, I think it could be an Andy Reid situation where mm. some team flies in and says, "We are not leaving until you're our coach." It could Ohio be Ohio State I think, fires Ryan Day. And no, brings, no, 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 he's no, an Ohio no, State no, alum. No, 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 no. I don't. Well, I don't. That would be a mistake on his part, Vrabel's <laughs> part. Vrabel is much more suited for the NFL, I think. But I think if the Titans do fire him, some NFL team is going to hire him immediately. So he's good. The Titans roster sucks, but I guess maybe if they if they don't fire Rabel, I feel like he can maybe get it turned back around a little bit. I, I do actually agree with that. Uh, I, NFL refs, but, you know, whatever. Cowboys game and, and all that. Yeah, other. rinse repeat. Falcons, man. Falcons are so bad. They're, they're, they suck. <laughs> they're going to win the division. They might. They could. They still suck. But that goes, you picked the old NFC South. Top three, bottom three. Top three is Baltimore, San Francisco, Dallas. Bottom three is Chargers, Commanders, Panthers. Mm-hmm. I would agree Baltimore has to be number one. They blew up the, the 49ers. Is there any discussion between number two? I, I feel like that has to be the 49ers, too. I mean, they, uh, Yeah. I think the real discussion comes in at number three. Because I think it's, Well, I think it's Dallas. You go with Dallas? You go with Miami? No. I mean, Detroit arguably well, should have won the game. Listen, I got to be honest. I don't want to go with Dallas or Miami because they're both frauds. 
But so why not? I have I to mean, respect the, what they've done. But I think you could make a real argument for Detroit because think about it. They arguably should have won the game. They'd be sitting sure. at twelve and four. Yes, with if Detroit. Did, if Detroit won, they'd be three for sure. Right. Cleveland, the way they're playing right now. No. I mean, with Joe Flacco, pretty. Crazy. I just can't take the Browns that seriously yet. You could argue the Chiefs just by the the Patrick Mahomes no, the Chiefs factor. Suck. Chiefs suck. My number three is going to be the Buffalo. Bills. Are terrible. Okay. I'm going to put the Bills Buffalo three. Bills. I am. They suck too. They're they just barely beat the Patriots. They're hot. They've won four in a row. They're not hot. They barely beat the Patriots. Won four in a row, including Josh Allen got bailed beating out. the Chiefs and blowing out the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. You're beating the Chiefs team. doesn't mean anything. They blew the out your bad. Cowboys. That's they not a good win. Cowboys. They blow out your Cowboys. That's not a good win beating the Chiefs. What about blowing out the Cowboys? No, because the Cowboys are frauds. But you put them three. Because I have to respect what they've done. All right, so I'm going to get in front of this now. My uh, AFC and NFC championship picks. AFC. Are you going to say Dolphins? Bills, Browns. Okay. I'm going Bills, Browns. <laughs> Although that might get messed up if the Bills get the two seed. Because that was under the precaution that they were going to get the six seed. So we'll, we'll wait yeah. and see. But as of well, right now, yeah. we're going with that. And then in the uh, NFC, we're going Lions, 49ers. Okay. So there's that. Anyway, uh, my bottom three. We're going to go with the worst team in the NFL is the Carolina Panthers, for sure. By far, yeah. It's like, thir- okay, so I should have clarified. 31 is Commanders, mm-hmm. and then there's like 100 feet of crap, and then there's the Panthers. What about the Patriots? Are they worse than the Commanders? I don't think so, no. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the Patriots have a worse record than the Commanders, but if if they were like actually trying... Bill Belichick again. I, I'm taking the pa- the Patriots, so I'll go yeah, Commanders. Like, yeah, exactly. If the Commanders played the Patriots tonight, you would pick the Patriots. the Patriots, even though I think the Commanders beat them head to head earlier. Did they? Yeah, that was earlier in the year. I don't All care. Are. I'm still going uh, Commanders. That was before the Commanders. I think traded away like Montez Sweat. Oh, they did beat them. But yeah, was that before the trade deadline? Uh, yeah. Okay. So that, uh, now they're a worse team. So yeah, I'm I'm fine putting Commanders 31. And then wait, wait, when 30, was it? Wait, no, wait. When, when was the trade deadline? It's like a week nine or something like that. Oh, wait, this might have been after. November 5th was when they beat him. Mm, that That's after close. the trade deadline. Isn't the trade deadline That's... before Halloween? Trade deadline October 31st. Okay, okay yeah. take it back. Wow. 31's Patriots, 30 is Washington. Wow. And low-key Giants without Terod Taylor <laughs> would be up there too. Oh, also Chargers with Easton Stick. Oh, see, I have the Chargers, yeah. Chargers bottom three. Yeah. Chargers with Easton Stick. Are the Chargers with really any bad. quarterback. Yeah. It don't matter. They were already really bad, bad before... Herbert got hurt. I know, but it gets even worse. If they had Easton stick all year long, are they in contention with the Panthers for the number one pick? I think they are. So I'm going to, okay, rearrange. 32 Panthers, 31 Chargers at this point in time without Herbert, and 30 would then be the Patriots Patriots. since they lost to the Commanders. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our NFL Week 2 recap. Week what? Week 2. I'm just steering into the joke at this point. Okay. Uh, We're going to get some KU Women's Basketball preview, KU Men's Basketball audio, and... Heroes and Villains, coming up the rest of the show. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. 5 o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We have Kansas women's basketball coming at you tonight after the show. It'll be at 6.15 is when pregame starts for coverage and tip-off at 6.30 between the Jayhawks of Kansas and the Cyclones of Iowa State. Big one for the KU women's basketball team, so tune in right here on KLWN to hear the action. Then we'll have Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider Thursday from 6 to 7 here on KLWN. Friday, high school basketball 
right here on KLWN, 830 tip-off, 820 pregame. Nick Springer, Craig Hershiser on the call for the matchup between Bishop Seabury and Veritas Christian. Saturday, we'll have your KU women's and men's basketball action for you between here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, so we talked about this earlier in the day, but KU getting the receivers back together, Luke Grimm coming back, Lawrence Arnold coming back, and uh, it's just good to see. And, you know, we were talking about this a little yesterday with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports that when you look at some of the teams who have recently won the title, right, outside of the teams that are Alabama and Georgia, the teams that are recruiting five stars and four stars at every single position over and over and over again, and and they're just going to dominate in every single way. They're going to have good receivers and everything else. Outside of that, like the teams that have had a lot of success here, either making the playoff or making a run in the playoff, like what we've seen from Washington when LSU won the title, like a lot of these teams have just a ton of playmakers on the outside. And I know that Lawrence Arnold and Luke Grimm and, and some of these guys aren't seen as first-round draft picks or anything in the NFL. I, I do think that they, once they uh, any of those individual players do enter the draft, I think they're going to shoot up sky uh shoot up uh draft boards a little bit because I, I do think right now if you were looking at draft boards and you're like, oh this guy had five hundred receiving yards, what's the big deal? But then if you go and actually watch the film, unlike Luke Grimm, which happens more when you do enter the draft, yeah. they're gonna be like, oh, this guy's really good. The only reason he had that is because they threw to a lot of other targets and they ran a ball a lot and all yeah. that stuff. That they they like it would not surprise me at all, basically is what I'm saying. If Lawrence Arnold ended up being a day two pick in the NFL draft in a couple in uh, 2025, and if Luke Grimm ended up being like a day three pick in the NFL draft, and Quentin Skinner ended up being a, an NFL draft pick, like none of that would surprise me is what I'm saying. No, but still, none of them are projected, you know, first round picks like a Roma Dunze or a Jamar Chase or whatever. But still, it has to give you some comfort when you see what like a Washington is doing, where they were 26th in the 24/7 talent base. I think Kansas was like 61st this year, but that's going to probably go up next year when you look at the the high school recruiting class that came in. And you see how the receivers can just take over a game with how good they are and winning contested balls and just doing the little things. Doesn't that give you hope that, that Kansas has a little bit of that for next year with these guys coming back? Yeah, I mean, just beyond that, I mean, obviously Devin Neal coming back as well. So you're going to have a lot of skill position talent, plus Jalen Daniels, who you know, we haven't seen him play in a while, but he was preseason offensive player of the year for a reason. He's definitely got the talent. There's no question about that. It will just be can he stay healthy and utilize those weapons most effectively, right? And listen, when Jalen was healthy, he and Luke Grimm have a very, very tight connection. Those guys clearly are on the same page a lot and can make big plays together. So, yeah, I think you got to feel good about it. And I think you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head with this idea of if you're not just going to be – if you're not just going to have the best talent like Alabama, like Georgia, what you're talking about – you need to have playmakers. You need to have guys that can just be X-Factor type players. Jalen Daniels is an X-Factor player. Devin Neal is an X-Factor player. Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold, X-Factor type players. Guys that can take over a game, you feel like, when given the opportunity. So from that perspective, yeah, I think you'd have to feel pretty good about Kansas. And remember, the state of the Big 12 is going to be looking a lot different going into next season. No Texas and no Oklahoma, obviously. It's going to be pretty wide open. We, we've, we've talked about it quite a bit already, but you're going to have five, six, seven teams that could make a claim that they're one of the top teams in the conference. So it's going to be up for grabs. You're going to have a chance to possibly really assert yourselves if you're Kansas. So uh, it's definitely very positive news, and I think KU fans should be very, very excited about what they've got coming back next season and hoping that this team can compete for a Big 12 title and even beyond, right? And then you talk about the fact that then you're going to add in the extra momentum of the stadium is going to be getting done beyond that. And it, it just continues to look like things are going upward for this for this program. 
Yeah. All right, let's get to our KU Basketball Heroes and Villains segment. KU takes down Wichita State 86-67 to on Saturday. And let's start with the offensive heroes for KU. Who's takes uh, that? Kevin McCuller, 20 points again, and he was only 5 of 14, uh, five of 14 though. but 10 of 10 4 from, from 3. Yeah, that from does line, help. Though. 20 points, and then I think uh, we talked about it quite a bit yesterday, but El Marco Jackson for that 90-second spurt, giving Kansas nine, or giving Kansas 7 points in that spurt. Finished 5 with, of 10. Uh, a transition layup, a dunk, and a 3-point shot. The mini hero of that section of the offense for Kansas. But yeah, Kevin McCuller. I, I mean, I'm hard-pressed to give it to Hunter Dickinson. I mean, I know he had 22 points to lead all scores, but, like, it just it was a very quiet 22 and 13. I don't even know how to phrase it correctly, mm-hmm. but it was, just, it was just quiet. He got 22, but it didn't. It, it was. Didn't, you know. He was 10 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 3 from three-point range. He also got five offensive rebounds, if we're talking offensive hero, which gives you extra possessions. Could you throw some Dewan Harris love there? I, I know he only scored six points, but those six points were on – couple threes that came earlier in the game when you needed the offense more, and obviously the nine assists to two turnovers, he was in a bit of control of the game. Yeah, I can't say I'm shocked that he hits those two threes and, and then, then he just doesn't stop. score again. Well, it's like as soon as the game turns into a blow, as soon as a game turns into like... That like KU is comfortably ahead. Exactly. He doesn't care about scoring, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Um, what about KJ Adams? I know it was only nine points, four of eight from the field, but he had five assists. He was kind of the fulcrum to the offense in the first half. He also had three offensive rebounds, so adding some extra possessions there. I think maybe he deserves a little bit of credit, too. Yeah, I think with the assists in the first half, definitely that that boosted Kansas quite a bit. Uh, you had talked about getting him into that short roll position, and clearly KU saw the same thing that you saw, and they took advantage of it and put him in that position and, and allowed him to, to go to work. And it wasn't necessarily always scoring, to your point, but uh, just being that position really helped open up the offense. Who are you going to go with? I'm gonna go with Marco Jackson for okay. the uh, for him keep being responsible for basically single-handedly kickstarting the KU offense uh, in the middle, late towards the end of that uh, first half and getting everybody going. So he's my he's my offensive hero because a, like a knight in shining armor, there he swooped goes in. Goes my hero. He swooped in. Watch him as he dunks and dunked, and then hit a three, and that really seemed to fire everybody up. Yeah, and they were they went from there. I am going to go with Hunter Dickinson. I know, like you said, it was kind of a quiet, but still. He put up 22 points with five offensive rebounds and four assists. And he only had one turnover. That's a good day. That's a really good day. Even if it was a quiet day, it was a a good day. day. That's an All-American level day. Do you think Bill Self has ever had a big man hit a corner three? Because like I, I've thought about like I remember Jeff Withy like hit one three. I, think, I forget if he banked it in or not. He hit a three like on senior day, but it was at the top. Like a lot of times, Mitch Lightfoot hit a couple threes, but they were like at the top of the arc. I don't remember a time where a Bill Self big man has even shot a corner three. To be honest, like a true big man. I don't yeah. mean like a, I don't know, like a stretch. Like a Perry Ellis wouldn't count because he, <laughs> it, it was more of a forward wing type power forward. I, I don't know. Okay, like a center, I guess is what I'm saying. I can't remember another one. Maybe there yeah. is another one that I'm not thinking of, but yeah. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Who is the defensive hero for KU? Defensive hero for KU. Hmm. So you got two steals from Dewan Harris. Yeah. You got two steals from Kevin McCuller. Three steals and a block say, from Hunter the, Dickinson. Say, I'm looking at the box. Hunter Dickinson had three steals and a block. Parker Brown had the big block. Steal from McDowell, yeah. Timberlake, and El Marco. Yeah, that's true. Parker Brown. Maybe we should give Parker Brown some love here. Mm-hmm. Shout out Parker Brown. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, pretty good. Uh, Dewan Harris. This I, I, I will say, this is probably one of his 
stronger defensive games, right? Yeah. Dewan Harris. I overall. thought he picked up where he left off in the the Yale game. Yale second half, I think he had three steals and a block. He really started to force more pressure. Because he only ended up with two steals in this game, but I, I succinctly remember a couple other plays where he like knocked the ball out or maybe it went out of bounds or something and he could have almost yeah. gotten a steal. Yeah. That one sticks out. Um, yeah, I might Wichita be going with uh, Harris here. Okay. Wichita State was 10 of 17 at the rim, which on the season for Wichita State, like they, they consistently get shots at the rim and they make shots at the rim. So for them to go 10 of 17 is not some So are you trying to say that know, the, huge number for them. the rim should be a defensive hero? No, I, I guess this would go more in line with the Hunter Dickinson thinking, right? That, mm. that he was the one protecting Altering the rim. The shots. Because Wichita State is in the 98th percentile in the country in their pers- in uh, field goal attempts at the rim per game. So, I mean, there's not many teams in the country who take more at the rim. And they average 25 a game. You held them to 17. So, I guess maybe that's actually more about ball pressure and denying the ball getting inside. But then, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe that does go with, with Hunter Dickinson. I... I can I pick a non-player? Can I just say doing a good job keeping what? them out of the paint? Yeah, you can do that. That's the defensive I mean, hero? You, listen, you can do whatever you want. I guess so. That's your no hero. stopping me. It is you my know, hero. You can do whatever you want. So whether it was guard pressure, whether it was denying the ball, whether it was denying the entry, whether it was just good walled-up defense by Hunter Dickinson or K.J. Adams or one of the guys down low or Parker Brown when he was in to basically set up Wichita State to where they were like, oh, I can't take this shot. It's not a good shot. They did a good job, uh, you know, preventing Wichita State from even getting those looks on the inside. So that would be my defensive hero. What is your other hero of the game? Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to give another shout-out to KU fans. I thought KU fans as a whole did a good job of showing out uh, for the game. Uh, they really – it was 90-10, I think, at worst. Probably even – could be even more than that in terms of the, the fan discrepancy. So they might be my other hero. Uh, they 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 did a pretty good job. Uh, also, in transition, Kansas doubled up uh, Wichita State with fast break points. That was a pretty big one, and also they scored a lot off Wichita State's turnovers as well. So not only did you force turnovers against Wichita State, but you cashed in on them as well. Uh, so those are probably my top three options for my other hero. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, just to throw another one out there, I thought <laughs> I thought Fran Fraschello was on his best behavior. Mm, okay, best behavior. You know, there were... Fran Fischella. I, for the longest time, was a gigantic Fran Fischella defender, and I, I said that, you know, I, I don't think it's as bad as you think. He's just talking about the other team because that's part of the game. Last year, I started to turn on that because there were a couple okay. games, like the Baylor game comes to mind, when he was going above and beyond about the foul discrepancy or the this or that, you know, whatever, the the stupid stuff that that is... A, just not totally factual when you look at the actual data of who's getting like the most foul discrepancy at home. It's it last couple of years, it hasn't been Kansas, it's been other teams, um, and, and some of that stuff, and, and just playing into the narrative that like Scott Drew wants to anyway. I, so I got a little frustrated with that, but overall, I like Fran. I, I think he seems like a good guy, very knowledgeable about basketball. I thought he did uh, uh, an excellent job on this game and didn't upset anyone. And I, I thought, uh, should he, we call him Fran Fashilla? Fashilla, like I he guess, says, uh, yeah. He's at this point definitely playing into the game, right? I don't know. I guess. There was a stretch where uh, you were at the game, so you weren't watching the broadcast. There, there was yeah, a stretch. I didn't, watch, I didn't watch the broadcast live. There was a stretch where uh, I think he said McCullough like five times in like 30 seconds, just because I think he wanted to say it. <laughs> Which, well, you didn't, know, he, I, didn't he acknowledge at one point that he can't say it correctly? 
I don't know. Which would you rather have? Would you rather him just be addicted to the bit, or would you rather him he legitimately just can't pronounce it? I can't decide which is more funny. I think him being addicted to the bit and just firing it because there there are when I hear it I I just I don't know it kind of makes me grin I think it's kind of funny that he says it that way as long as Kevin doesn't mind like but that's wouldn't what it be more with. funny if he literally can't say it correctly and then he just leans into it that way but then it's kind of sad because then all there's some people who get mad about it and then if there's people getting mad about it and he just literally can't not do it then it's kind of you know I, I guess I don't, know. I don't know I I hope it's just a tie down to a bit. And that you know, Kevin, Mc- maybe that, he has that like Kevin was like, "Oh, my family loves it," or something, uh, you know, behind closed doors. But he told that he told a funny story on the broadcast too, because they were talking about you know the best point guard in Bill Self history and everything. He told a funny story about uh, if I guess you were at the game or you didn't catch the broadcast or whatever that uh, he one of Frank Mason's years. I don't remember which one. If this was maybe Frank's sophomore year or something like that, junior, I don't know. Um, that they were in practice and Bill Self told Frank Mason, like, there were a lot of other good point guards in the league at that point. You think of, like, Monte Morris is the first one that comes to mind for me. I don't know. A lot of good players, obviously. And he told Fran Fraschilla as he was, like, watching practice, he's like, he's not even a top five point guard in the Big 12 right now. And Fran basically echoed that on the broadcast, which I will say a lot of times uh, talking points the broadcasters say on the broadcast, just here's a little behind the scene thing, is based on what the coaches tell them before the game. So when you get mad at somebody for being like, that's not true or whatever, blah, 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 or I don't believe you, it came from the coach. Anyway, um, so Frank Mason, I, I guess his family was probably watching the game and then told him about it afterwards because he said Frank Mason didn't talk to him for the rest of the season <laughs> to Fran Fraschilla. And then he told he got he talked to him at like another date, maybe the next year or something, I don't know, maybe after graduate, whatever, and, and told him what happened. And said that, yeah, I think Bill was just trying to motivate you, and, and Frank got a kick out of the story. So, kind of a cool story. Anyway, that that was my uh, uh, long-winded story of my other hero. Uh, Who is the villain of this game? Hmm. Well, when you look at Wichita State, I mean, they just didn't – nobody really did anything. <laughs> I mean – It's hard to have a villain. What about like, uh, B. Like, John Cortez? Just kind of the pesky, yeah. defensive point guard. Well, and guard. obviously you have the, o- the OU thing and, sure. you know. Yeah, I could pick him because he's just annoying. It's just, I just got annoyed when he had the ball. Yeah, and he gets the ball a lot. See the the hair yeah. flopping around. So I'm I'm actually very on board with that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good with that one. Cortez uh, you, definitely a villain. Uh, let's see. In my oh the well the T-Mobile Center prices definitely. Ooh, if anybody was at the game, you know what I'm talking about. No, I want. I, they tell me more. There was just everything I thought was really overpriced. The food. Yeah, like food I went and beer? to get like a thing of popcorn. And it was oh. like nine bucks. Whoa. And then, like a beer was like fourteen bucks <laughs> if you wanted if you wanted to enjoy a beverage. All right, so that there's yeah, it was the, quite a bit. Big one there. But the lady was very nice to me when mm. I bought the popcorn. So not the workers, so, just the yeah. And obviously, you know, the workers have no product. control over the yeah. over the prices. You know, mm-hmm. so she was very nice. That's good. Uh, so unsung hero, you should have mentioned that unsung hero. Yeah, yeah, the lady that sold me the popcorn because you know I like I'm a popcorn guy. I like to get popcorn. Mm-hmm. So I go over there and I get myself some popcorn and eight fifty. <laughs> But I was hap- I was fine with it, and she was she was nice about it. So okay. you know, it's all good. Uh, I'll go with just the flashbacks that we had to see of Greg Marshall and Evan Wesley and Wichita State winning the tournament. I get why the broadcast. Did. I'm not saying the broadcast was wrong to do that because it yeah. was uh, a storyline of the game. I yeah. just it was uh, unfortunate to bring back some uh, little PTSD, a little bit of that game. Yeah, I mean. There wasn't a lot of Wichita State fans there, like I said, so yeah. I couldn't even really say they were a villain because yeah, they didn't I mean, even if, really show up. If Greg Marshall would have still been the coach, he would have been automatic. Oh, for well, sure. Well, Greg Marshall and Greg Marshall's wife would have been. Yeah, for sure. Remember, she kept getting into like— Yeah, no, she got ejected from yeah, like, a lot of games, crazy. I think. Or I guess not ejected, but, you know, 
what, the week. I don't. Yeah, reprimanded or something. Anyway, all right. That's our KU basketball <laughs> heroes and villains. Uh, let's get some KU women's basketball audio with them playing tonight at six thirty pregame six fifteen right here on KLWN. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so. As you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.